This is the Annex of Sociology podcast. I'm Joseph Cohen from the City University of New York, Queens College. Today we talk about the anti-vaccination movement with Richard Carpiano from the University of California at Riverside. My co-hosts for today are Leslie Hinkson from Georgetown University and Howard Ramos from Dalhousie University. Our discussion was recorded on January 24th, 2019. And now we turn to Richard Carpiano, a professor of public policy and sociology at the University of California, Riverside. Richard is a medical sociologist and public health policy scholar with a ton of work to his credit. He does work in a bunch of areas, including more recent work on under-vaccination. Uh, he and Nicholas Fist, uh, Fitz rather, uh, recently published Public Attitudes Towards Child Under-Vaccination, a randomized experiment on evaluations, stigmatizing orientations, and support for public po- or support for policies in social science and medicine. It's a really good article. I enjoyed it. A great piece of medical sociology, and I look forward to talking about, about it. It's a pleasure to have you on the program. Welcome, Richard. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, okay, let's start. Maybe you could start us off by, uh, you know, giving us uh, a sense of what the controversy is surrounding vaccination and anti-vaxxers. Who are they? What's going on? Anti-vaxxers we could, uh, is uh, the, the common parlance that gets used in a lot of different ways, but but empirically really represent uh, a, a rather small population, a small but yet very vocal minority of, of the larger population of, of concern of what we would we would call vaccine hesitant uh, uh, parents um, mm-hmm. in terms of so vaccine hesitancy can capture anything from somebody having some sorts of, of concerns maybe about one or more vaccines for their child um, they might uh, delay uh, have, having concerns of a child getting too many vaccines all at one time uh, versus when we talk about, uh, uh, you know, or, or even in general, it could just be someone who, who goes through the motions, gets their child vaccinated, but is, you know, generally, uh, you know, maybe not on board in terms of or has, has some significant sorts of questions in regards to uh, safety uh, or other uh, uh, or other maybe sort of side effects that, m- that might emerge as a result of, of, of vaccinating their child. Uh, versus the uh, the anti-vaxxer who is uh, who is generally uh, you know be someone a parent uh, who uh, whose child has uh, no vaccines or or at some point maybe started vaccinating their child and, and then stopped as a result of uh, uh, well not any number of different reasons but we can uh, attribute them to uh, where it, this is really still a, a, a rather emerging literature. Uh, but we know that uh, you know this, the influences of this um, get very heavily tied around networks, information that's found on the web, um, and then also uh, more uh, sort of broadly, uh, science that was uh, that's been debunked. Uh, that it was a, a major study uh, many years ago by uh, now a, a, a discredited uh, physician by the name of Andrew Wakefield who uh, published a piece in The Lancet, so a rather, a rather prominent, uh, one of the most prominent medical journal, international medical journals, um, postulating a link between uh, a vaccine and the MMR vaccine, uh, the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine that uh, young children receive, and, uh, and autism. And uh, that ultimately, mm-hmm. when investigated, was found to be uh, um, uh, fraudulent uh, in terms of, or in, and unethical in terms of, of how the, uh, the analysis was conducted and uh, based on a very small sample of children and ultimately um, uh, 
his authors uh, uh, decided to not stand behind it, and uh, the Lancet uh, ultimately decided to uh, to retract the article. Uh, yet, it, what's interesting is is that that myth is well, or that that finding caught fire and is and is still has persisted for a long time. Although um, it's now uh, this has really kind of caught fire, and and uh, so we had the historically, if we kind of try to track this sort of historically, we had uh, certain sort of prominent uh, um, uh, celebrities who were getting behind this and concerned about it. Jenny McCarthy being probably right. one, of, one of the most prominent about this. Um, yet, um, so over time, this, uh, I mean, the whole vaccine hesitancy or even an anti-vaxxer activism is is not a new thing. That's that's always sort of existed. Uh, but to, to the extent to which we see it now and it's and, and the ways and uh, you know, media and, and even sort of just online, the Internet enables uh, sort of a more uh, vocal uh, sort of active uh, a resurgence uh, in a way is, is rather uh, is rather important. Um, and we it, while we might think of these as a, as a very small group of the of the vaccine hesitancy population. Um, the consequences of of their actions really are ra- are rather significant. Um, in the sense well, yeah, there's that, been outbreaks, haven't there? Yeah. So, um, in terms of outbreaks, um, and so you know, we, often we look at these. Uh, you, you can it it starts to become a bit of a numbers game. If you look at sort of reports about states or or the nation in terms of how many children are vaccinated, the numbers look really quite good to maintain um, herd immunity, which would be um, the idea that if you vaccinate enough uh, people within a population that they can provide a, a certain protection to those who can't be protected from it. Either they're too young or they're immunocompromised or people, some people even have legitimate allergies to uh, reactions to, uh, to certain vaccines. Um, but uh, we, but to the extent to which these, uh, you know, so while these numbers look big and everything looks protected, we know, well, you know, really it's, it's, these are infectious diseases, they're communicable. And uh, so it's about who you see in your day to day. And fundamentally, this is a sociological problem in the sense that we have uh, vaccine hesitancy clustering in particular communities and in within particular schools. And so as a result, uh, this really sets a, uh, uh, Sets the sort of groundwork or the potential for the for these types of outbreaks. Um, and con, uh, compounding that also are in many states we have uh, a vaccination is is not mandatory. Uh, that there are options to uh, to uh, exempt out of it as a result of some sort of philosophical or or, or, or religious type of exemption in, in certain states. Um, only three states actually make it a requirement for enrollment. Um, a lot of talk about California initiating it, but actually it's. It's West Virginia and Mississippi were the leaders in this, which is I kind of laugh as a public health scholar because generally when you think of those two states, you don't think of them as public health leaders on, on many things. Yeah, uh, right. But in terms of taking action on that, um, you know that that had been uh, that that is something that had been going on. Uh, but I digress. Um, so uh, with with the we, we've also been seeing so not only just this sort of uh, rise in sentiment, rise in activism, but also sort of a rise in these uh, in, in these opting out uh, exemptions, um, mm-hmm. which. Uh, is also it enables uh, um, to uh, enable some or, or sets at least the the potential for a lot of a lot of these vaccinations or a lot of these uh, uh, outbreaks to occur. Um, but you know, for I guess for the for the average listener who's like okay you know, you know public health uh, wonk here talking about you know something that's important to him and and whatnot. I mean this this what I find really fascinating about this whole issue is is more broadly as a sociologist is really how the anti-vaccine movement and even vaccine hesitancy in general, um, and 
Some of my work has been within the United States. I, I focus a, a significant amount of it in Canada too, and see some very some in, interesting similarities as well. Um, is is really how this applies to sort of more broader uh, sociological issues about uh, information uh, or misinformation or, or uh, and and. And, and even right, campaigns, right. the role of networks and circulating them, and even how some of these things get tied into broader political issues uh, regarding uh, populist politics and, and the role of, uh, of a more sort of libertarian sort of streak uh, um, that you might see. And so really this is, um, we, I mean, I could be talking with you about this, so you could make this about a, 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 right, right. an eight podcast series. Um, so maybe I should stop there and let, let, let well, you, guys you know what it's actually the perfect setup for my next question which is so like tell us about your study because it was involving public perceptions and public reactions which is very important well you know I, we, we look at these well there's so much attention that's paid to who's not vaccinating uh, because mm -hmm. journalists cue in on that and you know and, and obviously to, to many people that might seem sort of unusual it's counterintuitive you know, vaccinations mm -hmm. are considered to be one of the greatest public health achievements. If you were to take Public Health 101, it would make a top 10 list of some one of the greatest uh, accomplishments of public health, uh, yeah, sanitation yeah. and other things. Yeah. So, so it does yeah. seem rather counterintuitive. And so the stories will fo definitely focus in on that. What's not a news story is the fact that most parents go and get their child vaccinated. And maybe there's a little bit of crying, but otherwise it's not really much of an event. And so when I was telling people that this is, I, I became fascinated sort of uh, uh, just when the California uh, outbreak had occurred, the Disneyland measles outbreak uh, occurred. Mm. And um, that's really how, how I started getting into this as, as an issue. And um, as I started getting into projects and I would talk with people about like, you know, what it is that I study and the current things I'm looking at, I would notice, you know, this. I would tell people before, and I study health disparities, you know, and people would well, tell, me, tell me more about what that's all about sort of thing. Uh, but this was something that particularly uh, I, I noticed really hit a nerve with people. Um, you know, oh, those people are nuts. Those people are crazy. Oh, I can't believe mm -hmm. that, you know, that people would do, they better stay away from my child, you know. And mm -hmm. um, and so to me, it was it was just really fascinating to think about sort of what, well, what is the regular, what, what is the average pu public perception of this versus the studying always about what is an anti-vaxxer think and react and how we might sort of, sort of counter that. And there's so much sociological literature about sort of public perceptions about mental illness and about stigma. And really a lot of those ideas really do translate to this, but now looking in this case at, at an infectious disease. Um, so Richard, can you give us a, 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 an overview of your, uh, of your study? What were you looking for? What were the questions? How'd you do it? Yeah, so uh, my study, uh, our, our study, uh, and I have to give a, a lot of credit to uh, my co-author uh, Nick Fitz, who is just a was a whiz with uh, MTurk and, and uh, these designs. He's uh, now pursuing his his uh, doctorate in uh, in psychology at Duke. Um, so, uh, having said that, um, so. It, this is really sort of out of a tradition of, uh, of, of vignette studies that had been done uh, with uh, in, in medical sociology and the sociology of mental health to try to measure sort of public attitudes uh, regarding uh, re regarding illness and sort of the, just the sort of public uh, the social construction in, in essence of of, 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 of illness. And what, what we so what we tried to do here is we we created a, a number of different vignettes that we randomized uh, to present to uh, people. Uh, in this case, this was a uh, um, uh, a response on, on Amazon's MTurk uh, throughout the United States. Um, and they were presented with four different uh, vignettes, one, one of four different vignettes. 
uh, one of which mm-hmm. characterized a, uh, a discord described a, a mother who uh, was completely uh, was very concerned about vaccinations and in terms of their safety and uh, was as a result has decided not that her, her child is not vaccinated at all. Uh, second mm-hmm. uh, one situation where uh, the mother has some concerns, but and so as a result has decided to delay some vaccinations. Um, a third where um, the uh, mother is uh, thinks that vaccinations are important, uh, but life happens as a parent. And uh, and as a result, the child's not up to date um, as a result of just sort of, sort of competing demands. And then a fourth condition where the mother thinks that vaccinations are really quite important and is and as a result, the child ensures that the child is uh, that her child is, is up to date whenever uh, when, whenever a vaccination is due. Uh, and so, after being uh, um, exposed to one of one of those four vignettes, uh, we gave the respondents a, a number of different measures that we adapted from uh, a lot of the literature on on stigma uh, towards mental illness in terms of trying to get uh, at people's uh, uh, attributions about uh, about the parent. To what degree um, they might blame the mother uh, if the child mm-hmm. got sick or others sick. Um, the degree to which they might be angry or have or have sympathy for the mother. Um, the, right. the degree to which um, they felt that there was sort of a, 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 a need for separation, that there was sort of a, a characterization or, or, or boundaries sort of being drawn of sort of an us versus them sort of about, about, mm-hmm. about mothers like the one that got described, um, as well as uh, sort of a, assessments about, their, about the mother's sort of credibility in terms of thinking about uh, information or, or advice that she might have to offer about parenting or about, um, about health issues of the child, and then also just to perceive sort of dangerousness that the, that the parent might have. Um, and then we also have some questions about the degree to which the, peer, uh, the end of, uh, respondent might uh, uh, want to be dis- distance themselves or not, you know, sort of live in this, either the same community or interact with either both the mother and, and as well as we had separate uh, questions for the child as well, um, as well as some issue, uh, questions around discrimination too, that they um, uh, should be kept out of things or, or this mother should be uh, hired. You know, we even went to some sort of extreme sorts of examples about social exclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, what, what we found was uh, uh, very stark, which was actually uh, sort of surprising to me, is the, the, the degree to which this really did fall in a gradient in the sense that um, uh, respondents most strongly reacted to the kind of traditional anti-vaxxer sort of description of a parent with a child who's, who was not up to date on any, on any of them intentionally. Uh, and then next to that, next strongest would be then the delayer to the, um, and then a little bit more more nuanced, but uh, but but still some negativity towards the towards the mother who is just encountering just challenges and in, in making the doctor's appointments and, and getting and getting the child uh, the child up to date. So in addition to that, but on, on top of that, um, what we found was um, equally or in some cases stronger reactions towards the the mother's child, which was also interesting. To thinking about sort of a in this case, uh, a stigma by association, perhaps, but also in the case of, you know, it's a, a, the child's sort of, I guess, potential for carrying disease. Uh, we can think about this in just sort of a, 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 almost like the out of like classic literature or the Bible, the idea of like sort of avoiding the uh, the, 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 the the person who could be the carrier, uh, you know, sort of uh, yeah. in, in that regard. Um, more broadly, though, um, in terms of a uh, in, in terms of thinking about policy and where to go with this in these, in, in these findings were that we found that these reactions were very strongly tied to the types of policies that, um, that, um, 
these respondents would endorse or, or get behind. So we presented them with a, with a range of options um, that uh, span from rather benign things like that most people could probably get behind, such as you know, more education or um, uh, is needed, more public education is needed, um, to things that were very uh, much, you know, very severe, uh, well, to things that were sort of on the books, so things like uh, uh, banning a child from school, like what would occur in California, uh, or, or at that time period was on, on the books for being voted on. Uh, so that's the other thing to put to put this a little bit in context. Are we were catching a bit of a, of a zeitgeist uh, in terms of the news cycle, um, but then also some more extreme sorts of policies that were getting promoted or or, or proposed or, or later implemented even, such as in relation to um, uh, denying certain sorts of social benefits. Uh, um, if, uh, if a child to a parent or a household, if a child is not up to date. And ultimately what we were finding there is that the, you know, the more sympathetic that somebody was essentially, the general pattern was the more sympathetic that, that someone was towards the, towards a parent, the more they were towards these kind of more lighter or softer sorts of policies. Um, you know, public, yeah. public reporting of school uh, coverage would be, an, would be another example of that. Um, and then the more strongly that they reacted to the parent and to the child, the more likely they were to be moving towards um, these much more sort of heavier handed sorts of policies um, you know, that would definitely, um, uh, from an anti-vaxxer standpoint, be viewed as very, you know, much more, you know, very heavily intrusionist, sort of, uh, you know, sometimes gets couched in rhetoric of, 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 of anti-American or, you know, anti-freedom or, you know, mm -hmm. unlibertarian, yeah. I guess you could say. Yeah, so so Richard, I really enjoyed the article. Thank you very much. Um, and and one of the things one of the things that got me thinking about was um, was whether or not um, whether or not you think uh, like stigma would have varied based on what vaccine or which vaccines you were talking about, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, like I've been I think a lot about the HPV vaccine. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and number one, I actually think that like all boys should have to take it. And um, I don't think girls should have to take it at all because we then have to go on and take toxic oral contraceptives. Right. And, right. So we already have these things going on. So why not put the why not put the onus on boys since boys are the ones who 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 transmit mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Right. Um, so but we don't do that. So I was wondering whether or not you thought you would see different effects Right. In terms of like sort of like the um, the sort of size, uh, like the effect of like stigma actually being a thing. Number one, because we're talking about something that's associated with something that is very often stigmatized uh, in our society, uh, both sex and also sexually transmitted diseases. Right. Although the way in which HPV is framed is framed more as a sort of cancer um, preventative vaccine, right. right? So I was wondering whether or not you'd, you'd see like some similar effects there and whether or not you think you might see gender effects there, right? Yeah, no, that's such a great question. Um, and the, the, the short answer to that is I, I would definitely think that we, we would see see effects about that. Um, there is, is it... Will you do the study? <laughs> <laughs> Any funders listening? Um, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, I mean, definitely we, for all the uh, all, all the, the, the high uptake that we see for uh, sort of the, the, the 
standard or the, the more established sort of child vaccinations, you know, it's, it's a definitely a different story for the HPV vaccine. Um, and, um, uh, you know, and there is a lot uh, tied into this idea that, uh, and, and, I, and I think a bit of a stigma around the idea that, well, you can get it through sexually transmitted, uh, through, through sexual transmission. And so therefore, uh, you know, I'm giving this to, uh, to my daughter. Well, now, and now, at least in some some localities, uh, uh, boys as boys as well, but giving it at a young age, and um, you know, so this idea that well, I mean, certainly in uh, so among some families there was concern that, and this has now been uh, debunked quite nicely, I think, with with studies. But this sort of concern that well, if we give this to kids, kids are going to mistakenly think it's it's some license to go have sex, um, that they might think that they're sort of super protected and and whatnot, and we 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 know that. Definitely has hasn't occurred, so that's a, that's a misconception. Um, but also, I I think it hits on. I mean, ultimately, these are apparent, uh, you know, very heavily parent or parental decisions. And parents, uh, you know, it's to, to think about their you know twelve, fourteen year old, uh, uh, you know, thinking about let's let's talk about sex, or even now uh, the age has been moved down in certain uh, jurisdictions of when they can get something to like eleven. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, this, you know, my, my sweet little child, I have to think of them now as sort of this, this sexual being, um, you know, as, you know, it's certainly uh, discomforting for, for a parent. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's certainly going to undermine, uh, undermine the uptake of it as well. So I, uh, you know, make a long story short, I, I would not be surprised if the, if the findings would be, were, were very different for that, um, for, for that particular vaccination. Richard, I, I was really fascinated with your study, and I, I like that you used vignettes, and you're looking at social distance, and you're looking at how people relate to one another. But I do a lot of work with policymakers, and, and what I was curious about is, you know, there's a, a thing in policy where people say 1, 3, and 25, that uh, the, the intern reads the 25 report, uh, page report, uh, they make a three-pager that they send to their boss, who then makes a one-pager that sends it to the decision maker. <laughs> and, and so I was wondering, like, in terms of policy, how, how do you see that one-pager, uh, or the, you know, the, the, what, what is the intervention that this is leading to that, that you think will make the most effective change here? Well, there's uh, this is where it gets complicated in terms of thinking about uh, um, the the whole uh, about this particular issue about uh, about uh, under vaccination vac and vaccine hesitancy in general. Uh, in, in that, um, what well, one one would, it's good in general to be thinking about sort of what what would be public support behind uh, behind different policies if if they. Uh, if support moves one way or another, and, and we have we have extended this to looking at uh, uh, in, within British Columbia uh, in terms of public attitudes towards di towards different sorts of policies, um, not not in this sort of experimental situation, but just sort of looking just more more broadly at sort of what people might might be supporting and, and whatnot. But what what I try to bring up in the uh, in the discussion section of the, of the paper, and, and this is where things get get much more sort of challenging and more controversial. To, I guess you could say to, to be thinking about is uh, you know, as sociologists, you know, we 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 generally think of stigmas as as, as quite a bad thing, usually, uh, in terms of being applied to a particular group and being outcast and, and whatnot. Uh, within public health ethics, um, there's been a little bit more of a of a revision of of this issue, um, in the sense that um, you know, uh, one person particularly comes to mind would, would be the work of, of Ronald Bear, who is an HIV ethicist. Uh, who, Obviously, in that case, stigma would, would be terrible, uh, you know, and was a terrible approach in terms of, of thinking about different types of interventions uh, for that particular disease. But at the same time, sort of brings up, which is a, 
widely recognized within public health, you know, the stigmatization of cigarette smoking worked quite well. Uh, yeah. And so does that mean, you know, to what degree is yeah. stigma as sort of an ethical, is there an ethical basis of using stigma as, in, as, in, as a public policy, a public policy lever, uh, essentially? Um, in this case, uh, you know, so we, we kind of try to weigh those issues and, and try to thinking about them, you know, the, the potential to be pushing people sort of underground in this case and not getting, uh, um, uh, not converting. If the goal is to try to get as high a po as possible uh, uh, coverage, uh, you know, would that really be, uh, the, the, would that be the most effective sort of, sort of solution to be bringing up, you know, bring campaigns of, that, that really have sort of a, a bit more of a, I vaccinated my child. Why haven't you? And uh, you know, and, and and really sort of putting the onus on uh, and turning it around towards the towards the anti-vaxxers and, and shining the lens on that, versus the you know the other sorts of options that might be what what gets discussed in this still emerging literature uh, and, and and debate and discussion around things such as well, just focus on these more mild, you know, more less of sort of severe hesitant parents who are sometimes referred to as sort of the fence sitters. Convert those. And you know, and that should be enough to be able to maintain what we need. Um, and so, so there's really there's not a there's not a straightforward with with this paper uh, policy uh, prescription with it. Um, it's it's more, but but what we were trying to do with it was really trying to capture this, um, try to bring sort of the other side to it of uh, where so much is always focused on again this these the, the anti-vaxxer the vaccine or the vaccine hesitant population itself is. What exactly are the attitudes towards these people where it's sort of that, that might take it for granted that, you know, I do this for my kid or, or that or that other or that parents do this for, the, for their children and, 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 and are generally we know from public surveys that generally the vast majority of the public is, is on board with the with the with the utility of, of, of vaccination. And so kind of where where does this attitudinal sort of fault line sort of stand was really sort of where, where we were uh, where we were going with this paper. No, that, yeah, that, that was really the cool part of it. You know, it made me think of all kinds of ideas. On the one hand, it made me think of the Chinese saying of uh, kill the chicken to scare the, the monkey. Or, or in, a, in other words, you know, you, there's evidence that you find that basically people are okay with stigmatizing the people who are refusing. There, therefore, you might be able to have some impact on, on harsher policies or, or using stigmatization to, to scare away the people who are kind of thinking about it but aren't committed. Uh, but then on the other hand, I thought to myself of when I was a, a kid in the in the 80s uh, and a teenager and those commercials of um, with the eggs and here here's your brain and then they crack it and fry it on the fry yeah. pan and here's your yeah. eggs on drugs. And, yeah. and uh, you know, we just legalized cannabis in Canada. Uh, yeah. So that didn't really work on, on the soft drugs. So, you know, so this is the kind of stuff I began thinking about and, and where, where I was kind of pushing you to, to, to see where you might be thinking about in, in terms of how this would be used. Yeah, no, that's it's that's that's a great point. Um, it's it's it really is really amazing how f such a small group can be so vocal and and really what we we are seeing on the on the policy uh, side of it is how impactful they really can be in uh, in in undermining uh, efforts to, uh, to you know to maintain maintain the public's health um, in terms of even just some fairly fairly basic uh, uh, sorts of, of of measures. Such as say public reporting, so that parents are aware of you know within their school how how their school kind of fares or different schools, um, how that gets challenged um, or uh, or different you know in Texas we know that there's certain candidates that you know they'll get behind and and they'll support uh, and so this is it it really uh, um, 
it's, I think, and sadly, I mean, I really think we are sort of a, still only at a, the relative tip of the iceberg. Um, and I, I, I hate to say it, but I think things are going to get worse going along. I'm, I'm, I'm not the only, only person saying that. Um, the support, I mean, we can, you can see it from a social movements lens too. I mean, I always say that there's a great dissertation to be written here too on, on, in, in that regard. I mean, we, so much of these, the public media stories are always about uh, uh, this mom here. And, you know, and these are often are mothers who are, who are making sort of appearances. And we, and we know that mothers tend to make the, the majority of the health decisions for a child. Um, but, uh, but in terms of the actual sort of organized collective grassroots sorts of efforts, uh, you know, it, it really is quite amazing uh, the, the the pull that they that they can have. Uh, the the uh, and even to the extent to which they get media coverage gives a, a public the public conception that they are uh, much more numerous in size than what they are. Um, so um, challenging, you know, coming back and fighting that, particularly in, in you know the internet age where people have you know the the PhD in Google or you know they can access a. a, a, a a scholar or a, or a clinician online and Twitter and try to engage them and uh, or or even sponsor panels. I've I've I fell into this uh, when we were I was talking about this with a number of, of, of vaccination researchers and, and clinicians. Uh, getting invitations to uh, panels that were essentially stacked with anti-vaxxers and serve as a tactic of sort of legitimating sort of their cause because they're on the same sort of panel as as you know. Like, as a, a, I used to myself a legit scientist, um, uh, yeah. So the, all these sorts of, of different ways that uh, that they come about, uh, you know, and tactics and tactics that they that they employ, um, that really present some different challenges. And ultimately, have in some countries have resulted in, uh, you know, like Australia, you know, taking some rather strong measures, such as their no uh, no jab, no pay policy, where uh, denying different sorts of uh, of tax. Uh, uh, Benefits to families if their if their child's not up to date, for instance, um, and and seeing that, uh, and and, uh, and now or or in the other case, uh, uh, retrenchment, I guess you could say, in terms of, of vaccination policy in in Italy, and we're now where we're seeing, uh, which is now in, in, along with a lot of Europe, in the, you know, in, the, in a, a wave of a major measles epidemic. You've been listening to the Annex, a sociology podcast. You can visit us on the web, sociocast.org slash annex. We're on Facebook, the Annex Sociology Podcast, and on Twitter, at SociAnnex. Music is by Lena Orsa. Our producer is Lisseth Moreno. On behalf of my co-panelists, I'm Joe Cohen. Thanks for listening.